0: I'm Lucas. And I'm Jesse. And this is Double Blind. Each week, Lucas and I pick a
1: breaking scientific study. We put it in context and we explain exactly what happened and why it
0: matters. So if you're curious, come with us. We think it's gonna be a lot of fun. This week on Double Blind, long-term side
1: effects, possible links between antibiotics and type two diabetes.
0: And through the ether, the very first magnetic wormhole.
1: Lucas, would you uh, start us off today?
0: I'm going to deal with another one of these correlation causation studies because these are great. Don't don't we love these? This (laughs) one's really this one's really interesting though. Um, a team of researchers from Denmark have raised some very interesting questions around a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. Okay. So a risk factor being something that you do, which might increase your risk of developing the disease. And just to be clear, type 2 diabetes is the one that
1: you can contract as opposed to...
0: Yeah, totally. So, so when we say this word diabetes, okay, mm-hmm. we're just referring to the body being unable to properly regulate blood sugar. Through a variety of mechanisms, so a few right. different types of diabetes, and they're generally based on slightly different mechanisms. Okay. The yep. most common types we talk about are type 1 and type 2. Yes. And people think of exactly as you said, type 1 is the type you're born with, mm-hmm. and type 2 is the type you get later in life. Right. So type 1 is due to the pancreas being unable to produce enough insulin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In- insulin is this hormone that helps regulate glucose in your body. Right. And type 2 is due to something called insulin resistance, Ah, which is your body's cells not being able to respond properly to the insulin that is there.
1: Okay, cool. And that can be brought on by like obesity and other factors, right?
0: Exactly. Well, you just named the number one factor that we think of when we talk about type 2 diabetes. Yes. That's obesity. Right. But these researchers dove into the Danish health system. Okay this this is kind of a side note this is an advantage to universal health care because if you have one health system all the health data from a country is in one place not with a bunch of different hospitals and insurance companies (laughs) that's beautiful this this was noted in the coverage of this study (laughs) it's really good for research and what they did is they looked at a bunch of people who had type 2 diabetes Mm -hmm. and they looked at the 15 years before they were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes okay okay And they looked at the number of antibiotic prescriptions that were written for these people. Right. So prescriptions of any drug which is considered an antibiotic, a drug which kills bacteria. Sure. And then they also made up a control group. And they made up this control group by looking at the age, the weight, and the sex of all the people with diabetes. Okay. And they found another group um, with uh, similar variables. Sure. And then they looked at the 15 years previously in antibiotics for that group as well. Okay, so lots of information, lots of information. So essentially, they were looking at these two things. They were looking at the group with diabetes and the group without and how many antibiotics were prescribed. Okay. And what they found is the group without diabetes had an average of 0.5 antibiotic prescriptions per year. All right. One every two years. I don't know if that's that's normal for you. I, I don't know might be a little high for what i've been prescribed but it's been a while since i've been prescribed an antibiotic i think i feel yeah
1: i feel like one every two years sounds about right for me i guess
0: yeah but i mean in first world countries antibiotics get prescribed a lot yes but the interesting thing remember that's 0.5 per year the interesting thing is that the people with type 2 diabetes had 0.8 antibiotic prescriptions per year so almost one prescription every year nearly yeah so i mean that might sound like a very slight difference But what it's saying is these people who end up being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes have had more antibiotics up to 15 years before the diagnosis occurred. I mean, that sounds like a small
1: amount in like 0.5 versus 0.8, but that's quite significant over 15 years.
0: Exactly. Yeah. This leads to two possibilities. One of which, well, actually both of which are quite possible. (laughs) Um, Number one, sort of the simplest one is that people who develop type 2 diabetes are more prone to infections, and thus they are prescribed more antibiotics. Right. That makes sense. It does make a lot of sense, particularly because the risk factors for type 2 diabetes can overall lead to a less healthy lifestyle. Okay. But remember, they did try to control for body weight. Right. Okay. But mm-hmm. hold on. So th- there, This was in the 15 years before they
1: were diagnosed with diabetes. And like, do we have a sense of how long you tend to
0: live with diabetes for before you're diagnosed like that that is one thing they mentioned they they talked a little bit about because remember also diabetes is not i mean it's not necessarily an on off thing yeah right there can be health effects leading up to it okay
1: so that that does mean i guess then that they could feasibly have been living with mild light diabetes for a long period of time which could have increased their chances of getting infections Which makes them more likely to be prescribed antibiotics, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, they've, they mentioned previous studies have shown that people who have diabetes are more prone to infections. Okay, cool. I just wanted to follow the logic train there. (laughs) Totally. That's, that's absolutely um, a possibility here. Cool. But the authors focus on this second possibility, which is really interesting. And this is that the use of antibiotics could actually increase the risk of developing diabetes. Wow. That's scary. That's a scary one. And that's an interesting one. It's based on the idea that antibiotics change the microbial community in your gut. Yeah. Which is, which is something we know to be true. Yes. Right. Antibiotics mess with the bacteria that are in your body. May the bacteria in your body help you do really good things for you.
1: Right. And I guess when people talk about like a broad spectrum antibiotic, you will, you'll often hear. And that's one that just kills everything. Exactly. Or a
0: huge, yeah. broad number of bacteria. It's interesting that they, they looked at the antibiotics here, and they did subdivide them uh, by broad and narrow spectrum. They also subdivided by particular class of antibiotic. Okay. But in terms of just the broad and narrow spectrum, one, they actually found a stronger correlation for narrow spectrum antibiotics oh. than broad spectrum antibiotics. Weird. Which was odd. Okay. That is a little weird. Now, it wasn't much of a stronger correlation, but it was slightly stronger. So this whole world of research into gut microbes is something that's emerging quickly. We've briefly mentioned it a couple times previously on the show. Uh, We talked a little bit about links to uh, mental health disorders such as depression. The idea that the gut microbial community could regulate stuff related to diabetes is quite supported by previous studies in animals. Oh, is it? Yeah, they've related, particularly in studies on rats, they've related gut microbes to hormone regulation, uh, nutrient pathways, and even, wow. yes, previously in rats, the development of type 2 diabetes.
1: Interesting. I had no idea.
0: This study is a real indication this could also be an issue in humans. So, the important thing to remember about this study is it can't determine which one of these answers is correct. Right. And there was a lot of, you know, coverage of this in the media, and the headlines really did focus on antibiotics cause diabetes. Of course. <laughs> which we can't say from this but okay it's interesting it's an interesting area to look at and i mean the world of gut microbe research is mysterious and it's in its very early stages but there are these correlations from depression to diabetes hmm and I think it's going to be really interesting in the coming years to see what happens. Okay. In this particular area of research.
1: Gosh, everything is connected, eh?
0: Yeah, everything's connected and even the stuff that's not us, cuz these are like these are yeah. not us. These are things that are other things yeah, living ex- in ex- us,
1: separate <laughs> organisms. Yeah. That's really that's incredible. Well, that's a really interesting, I guess, little, you know, wiggle of the compass
0: needle to get us to, you know, look over there. <laughs> that's that's a very good way of putting it that's cool so yeah results they're not conclusive by any means but another piece of evidence which kind oh. of indicates maybe we shouldn't over prescribe antibiotics yeah well yeah yet another reason not to prescribe them there's been there a, are a other lot of bigger stuff, reasons yeah. to not do that yes <laughs> It's time for the abstracts. Two quick little stories before we hit up our last big one. CPR is shown to be twice as effective in medical dramas than it is in real life. <laughs> 70% of CPR procedures on patients work in TV. Yeah. But the immediate survival rate is only 37% in real life. Huh. And there's even a greater discrepancy when it comes to portrayal of actual full recovery from CPR. Right. It occurred in half of the televised cases but in real life long term survival actually only occurs in 13% patients. Right.
1: That's the stat I've heard that it's just incredibly low. So I thought this one was kind of cool because of what we talked about. I believe it was the study you delivered last week or two weeks ago. Um But a recent study found that the heat compound from chili peppers, capsicum that we talked about, Mm -hmm. um, can actually help kill cancer cells. Really? Yeah. Uh, They found that the actual compound interacts with the cell membranes and causes them to come apart. And is that just
0: cancerous cells or all
1: cells? That's the crazy thing is it seems to target the cancer cells. They were specifically testing prostate cancer in mice and they found that the capsicum targeted the prostate cancer cells, but not the normal healthy cells. Whoa. Unfortunately, the dose that was required to have any noticeable effect would basically require us to eat an obscene number of chili peppers every day. So, of course, it's a little far away from reality. (laughs) So, um, this next story is one that was really heavily shared on social media in the last couple of weeks. Okay. Um, probably due to the pretty sensational headline. You may have seen it on your Facebook feed, but the headlines ranged from things like uh, magnetic wormhole created in lab, which is the conservative side. Oh, to, yeah, I did see that. Yes, the little bit more sensationalist first ever wormhole created. Oh, wow. a lot yeah. of other similar ones.
0: I did see those, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what they mean, but I well, saw them.
1: And we're going to find out today. People, I think, share this story a lot because folks love their wormholes. Uh, They're particularly big in media right now, right? Interstellar was one of the biggest movies of last year, prominently featured a wormhole. Um, Mm -hmm. Marvel movies, Star Trek, Doctor Who, whatever, you name it. So we're going to take a look at what the researchers actually did, and then we're going to talk a little bit about wormholes. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what this study actually means, because those things are... Uh, A little bit at odds with each other, turns out. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. So what actually happened? So this is a new study out of Spain. Um, It's jumping off of an older study, uh, which basically came up with the theory as to how to create a magnetic wormhole. Okay. Yeah, what that means in this case is some sort of device where you can put an electric or not an electromagnetic field, sorry, some sort of device where you can put a magnetic field into one end and have it come out the other end, some distance away, without propagating through the space between.
0: Okay, so a wormhole for magnetic fields. Yes, exactly. Not for matter. Not for matter at all. Okay, got it. So magnetic
1: fields, as some of us know, are generated by usually a magnet or a wire carrying a current. Uh, It's an invisible field that propagates out indefinitely from its source. So... When you have a magnet, that magnetic field is detectable, in theory, infinitely far away from the magnet, but it falls off really quickly in strength as you get further away from
0: it. Right. Kind of like, like in theory, you're feeling the gravitational fields of everything in the universe. Yeah, exactly. But you're not actually significantly affected by the things that are very far away. Yeah,
1: totally. All of these forces, electromagnetism, gravity, magnetism, are theoretically indefinitely propagating forces. But they have they don't stop at a point. Yeah, they don't just stop ever. They, but they have exponential fall-off rates, which means the further away okay. you get from the source, they become exponentially weaker. So these researchers wanted to build a system to essentially carry this magnetic field from one point in space to another, right? Mm-hmm. Mag- magnetic wormhole is our theory. Sure. The idea is the field goes in one end and it comes out the other. And the researchers had three requirements that had to be met for them to have succeeded at this task. If they meet these, then they've successfully completed this experiment. They've accomplished what they're trying to do. Cool. The requirements were these. One, the magnetic field must not be detectable midway through the wormhole. That's fair. It wouldn't be a wormhole if exactly. we could detect then it. Then it would just okay. be a magnetic field. Sure. Um, and this was worded very confusingly in the study as, it must magnetically decouple a given volume from the surrounding 3D space so (laughs) it took took me a while to figure that one out understandably so um the second requirement was that the wormhole itself must not be detectable and that's an important Uh one because there's an idea that you could create this this wormhole this device this thing that masks the magnetic field but it creates its own obvious signature that's detectable which would then reveal that there's a magnetic field inside it which defeats the purpose right this is not a tube which covers the magnetic field yeah exactly okay got it that the tube itself should not be magnetically detectable the third requirement was that the magnetic field had to propagate through the interior so the wormhole's no good if the magnetic field can't make it out the other end so it just has
0: to go in one end and come out the other yes is what that means
1: okay and those seem basic but when you're dealing with complex physics it's easy to miss one of them i guess
0: Yeah, you don't want to lose sight of what you're trying to do here. Yeah, it's
1: important to really clearly define your goals. And they've done that here, and that's really good. Totally. So let's solve the first one first. They started off by creating this spherical superconducting shell. And we've talked about superconductors in the show before. Those are just Mm -hmm. materials that conduct electricity really, really efficiently. And so they built this shell around that is a superconductor in a spherical shape. And the reason they did that is that superconductors are now known to distort and repel magnetic fields from their interiors so they can kind of be used as a magnetic cloak oh right all right masking that magnetic field on the way through uh and in this case the one they used was made out of my favorite material that i've come across this week yttrium barium copper oxide
0: there you go yeah what what Whatever that is. Yeah. It's just... uh, I know what all those those things are separately. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is obviously a compound made up of all of those, which is a superconductor. There you go. Okay. Um, Sure. So that satisfied the first requirement, which was that it mask the original magnetic field, but it didn't satisfy the second one because the wormhole itself is still detectable due to the distortion from the superconductor. So we can detect that magnetic distortion caused by the superconductor.
0: uh, Okay. Just by the superconductor superconducting yes okay
1: so they covered the superconductor in a really thin ferromagnetic layer
0: okay so remind me remind me what that means so
1: ferromagnetism is the most common type of magnetism it's the one associated with iron nickel and other like magnetic elements it's what fridge magnets and most magnets that you'd play with are made of so they had 150 pieces of of this material cut and placed perfectly around to mask the magnetic distortion being generated by the superconductor oh okay so they're masking the original magnetic field with the superconductor and then they're masking the the magnetic field distortion caused by the superconductor with the ferromagnetic material masks on masks on masks (laughs) it's totally it's masks on masks on masks okay so that canceled out the magnetic field created by the first layer okay so now they had to satisfy the third condition, because now, for whatever reason, the magnetic field was not quite being propagated well enough through the wormhole itself, through the inside.
0: Huh. So That's to, always the condition I thought would be the easiest one.
1: Yeah, you think. Well, yeah. to improve that, what they did is they used another ferromagnetic sheet wound into a spiral that ran along the inside. So the magnetic field was able to run along that and more efficiently propagate.
0: Do you Do you have any sense of... Did the researchers, like, sketch this all out and were like, okay, we're going to build this thing and this is going to work and it's going to satisfy all these conditions? Or did they, like, do something and they were like, oh, well, this is wrong now. Add this thing. And then, like, just kept adding little pieces until it finally worked? I mean,
1: I don't know. From reading the study, and I always find this to be the case, whenever I'm reading a study like this, it feels like they just knew what to do magically. But maybe you can answer that. like. I, don't, I, I get the impression that researchers don't put all of the m- mistakes they made along the way in the
0: final paper. Very rarely, and it's often a problem. Because <laughs> yeah. if another researcher in the same field wants to do something similar, they might make the exact same mistakes. And, I mean, it sort of goes along with the whole, you know, you need to publish negative results. If you've got a great positive result, it really does help to say all the things you tried yeah. that really didn't work. They cite a lot of other papers that gave them
1: the reasoning as to why to use a superconductor and why to use the ferromagnetic coils etc etc so Mm -hmm. i mean i can assume that maybe they did all of their research first and knew that those were the best ways to go by looking at those older studies and but i mean i they must have made a lot of mistakes along the way and i don't really see those in the paper um so that, that that wasn't i'm not even done that's not even the last step yet
0: Whoa, that's not even the last step. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, Getting ahead of myself.
1: Do you notice any red flags in those three materials? or Would any of those three materials be particularly effective on their own? Or would any of them, do you think, require an extra thing to be added?
0: Well, the superconductor would probably require some sort of temperature control. You got it. it. So yeah,
1: okay. In order to make the superconductor work properly, they had to submerge the whole thing in... Something really cold. Something really cold, namely... Liquid nitrogen. Liquid nitrogen you i know. ah, got it yeah yeah so they, they submerged the whole thing in a liquid nitrogen bath to get the superconductor going and what happened it worked oh good awesome. very very well it was super effective the magnetic field entered one end and it popped out the other and interestingly it appears at the end that it comes out of as an isolated monopole Whoa. which is kind of cool because we don't very cool like monopoles don't exist and this still yeah. the whole system is not a monopole. Hold on, I've got to back up. So Yeah, no worries. When you know those little bar magnets or whatever that you play yeah. with as kids?
0: Those are all North end, South End.
1: Yeah, those are really clearly marked as being dipoles. And a dipole means yeah. it has two poles, a north pole and a south pole.
0: Yeah. And all magnets are dipoles. Right. If you if you take a dipole, one of those magnets, and you cut it in half, yeah. you'll get two magnets both with north ends and south ends. Exactly. Right?
1: But at any rate, the exit end of this wormhole kind of appears to be a monopole which is just a fun little anecdotal thing
0: right but if you add the enter end on it too exactly it becomes a dipole yes because
1: at the enter
0: end is
1: one pole is going into the wormhole and the other pole is going out just into the space behind it right right so right yeah i get it yeah the whole system is still a magnetic dipole that makes sense yeah so that's the experiment i mean now we gotta quickly talk about the idea of a wormhole because the thing is this just doesn't really match up with what most people's idea of a wormhole is
0: no i want to go somewhere and then go to a planet near a black hole and see giant tides yeah and and i mean matthew mcconaughey the researchers use the word wormhole but i i was unable to find
1: a, a layperson's definition of the word wormhole online that mentioned anything other than traveling through space-time
0: this is not what is commonly thought of as a wormhole
1: no not at all i mean. Yeah, wormholes, which were theorized by Einstein in oh, 1935. Okay. They're actually... The other term for wormhole is the Einstein-Rosen bridge. He, <laughs> I like uh, that one. Because he developed the idea with his colleague, Nathan Rosen. Okay. Uh, and they're, the idea behind that wormhole concept is that it's this shortcut, this tunnel through space. You might remember the really crummy movie scene from Interstellar where... Uh, Matthew McConaughey folds the piece of paper in half and sticks the pencil through it to explain how wormholes work to another scientist. I, I do remember that, yes. I'm sorry, you're a freaking <laughs> astronaut and you have to use high school demonstrations of how a wormhole works to explain things to other astronauts. But it's, it is the classic explanation of how a wormhole works. The idea is that space-time is actually folded and this shortcut is created. Okay, so this is definitely not a wormhole in that sense at all, right? It's, it's more like a straw that you blow through. Where you can't feel the air around the straw, but it comes out the other end. If you just blow air not through a straw, you go, and you blow air. Yeah. You're you're blowing the air, and it's traveling all the distance between you and a meter away from you. Yeah. And you could feel it if you've measured anywhere along. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you blow through a straw, it comes out the other end seemingly magically, because you can't feel it anywhere in between unless you were inside the straw. But it's not, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm downplaying the importance of this, but it it just, it really feels to me like we've built an invisibility cloak for a magnetic field, which is very cool, but yes, incredibly so, but not a wormhole in terms of what this could actually be used for. It turns out the idea they have in mind is very cool, which is get this MRI at a distance. Whoa. Why would, okay. Why would you need to have MRI at a distance? So that patients aren't stuck in a gross little tube. Huh? That you could create better ways of doing magnetic resonance imaging right. where the patients are less uncomfortable.
0: You could just sort of sit in a room. Yeah. That does seem quite cool. Yeah. I yeah. mean,
1: I assume it's way the heck away from being ready for that, but...
0: The patient would sit in a room which has many baths of liquid nitrogen in it, I guess. Yeah. But... I mean,
1: yeah. There's, there's there's a long way to go. But at least they have a sort yeah, of interesting
0: sure. and noble goal for
1: it. Um. But I would still... I mean, if we were... I feel like we should do like a Mythbusters thing where we like stamp a story with like Badly reported. Saying wormhole is misleading. But the researchers said it to begin with. So, I i mean, the onus is kind of on them to not blow up the importance of their own work. You
0: can't really fault the reporters on that. And you should expect the researchers yeah. to know what the word wormhole is going to be interpreted yeah, as. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: my favorite part of this story, though, is... Okay. My, my favorite... My, this, is, this is great. So, Scientific American, who normally yeah. a pretty reputable source, did uh one of the most they wrote up one of the most widely shared on social media reports okay and their headline i believe was magnetic wormhole created in lab which is fine okay sure (laughs) but there's a quote in it where yeah and this is a quote that they got from Jordy pratt camps which is a great name (laughs) yes and is one of the co-authors of the study a doctoral candidate in physics at University of Barcelona. Okay. And the quote is, from a magnetic point of view, this device acts like a wormhole as if the magnetic field was transferred through an extra special dimension. <laughs> I am 99% sure <laughs> that Jordi pratt Camps was in fact saying extra spatial dimension and not extra special.
0: <laughs> but, Are you sure about that? <laughs> I'm not sure. It, it sure sounds
1: like it should be. I'm not sure. They have this quote yeah. two times in the article i've never heard i've heard people say extra spatial dimension many times i've never heard i've never heard a scientist say extra special extra dimension, special
0: dimension.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, and i just love that so much and i i mean i kind of hope that was actually the original quote but
0: <laughs> did you uh did you google extra special dimension that I, I did
1: i googled both of them yeah extra special dimension is not a thing <laughs> It's not a thing. (laughs) It's not a real thing. Well, that's it for this week. We'll have links to all of those studies we discussed and more in this episode's show notes. Those are as usual at doubleblindscience.com.
0: Did you enjoy our show? If you did, please review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think, and it helps show our podcast to other people. If you did not enjoy us, well, tell us what you think. Uh, You can review us if you want, but we'd prefer you did that in private. Send us an email, uh, (laughs) stories at doubleblindscience.com. You can also use that if you have a story idea for us, or get in touch with us. We're on Twitter, uh, at doubleblindSCI.
1: Thanks a lot. See you next week.
0: See you next week. So extra, extra spatial and perhaps a Spanish accent. I
1: I really think that's what it was. (laughs) (laughs)